Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and fortunately today we will be talking to Tamara Becker-Wilkinson. She is an executive producer on Doom Patrol. She's also a writer. She wrote the episode that we'll be talking about, Dead Patrol, episode four of season three. And she's also done some work on Daredevil. She's written for season three there. She's also produced for season three there. She's done a lot of interesting stuff. So I was just curious in general once I saw Dead Patrol and I said to myself, listen, I have to talk to this person and find out what she was thinking and how all of that came together. So we had a conversation Runs about 45 to 50 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. It was really good. We get behind the business in general and what writing and producing is like. And she even gave some uh, introspective answers on just advice for aspiring screenwriters and things of that nature. So uh, before we get to that interview, I just wanted to quickly say this. Obviously, you can... Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod where you can get all of our bonus content like the Doom Patrol recap that myself, Dalbino Sorio, and my guy John from Murphy's Multiverse did last week. Uh, there will be a Constantine review. Jake Christie is handling that business over there. And we have more coming from the bonus uh, side of the show. So would definitely like everybody to check that out if they get a chance but if not just rate review subscribe and yeah definitely give us those reviews because i want to try and get to 100 we're at 91 right now so we're not far away from 100 would love to see it it would be really really cool so yeah just give us a review if anything even if even if you can't join the patreon but uh before i get into the interview i did want to note one thing so today we found out that Marvel is delaying some of their movies, uh, particularly the big one is Doctor Strange, which is now being moved from March to May. I think the quick take on that from me is simply that Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness feels like an Avengers level movie. And... Avengers level movies have all taken place in the month of May or the end of April. So right at the prime, right before the summer season of blockbuster movies, uh, Doctor Strange will be right there. I think it's May 6th of next year. So after Spider-Man Far From Home, we're going to have a little break from the films, but I'm sure Disney Plus will let us know what we're going to get in the interim once November 12th comes around, and that's the Investor Day at Disney. So that should be interesting, too. So there's still a lot of MCU stuff coming down the pike. So obviously, since Doctor Strange got delayed, Thor got delayed till, till I believe, July. And the Marvels are now going to be in 2023, I believe. Because uh, Wakanda Forever is now in November of 2022. So a lot of changes, a lot of a lot of things happening. It's it's an interesting time for the MCU as they continue their journey into bringing movies back to the theaters traditionally. So we'll see how all of that plays out. And I don't think it's a bad thing that there's a delay because ultimately if they need to take the time to get more things right, better for us as the viewer, 
I know Jake echoed those sentiments earlier to me today. So that is a cool thing. So we'll see what happens there. But for now, you can listen to myself and Tamara Becker Wilkerson talk about Doom Patrol, Daredevil, and so much more. Hello, everybody. This is Anthony Canton III, and I am proud to have today with me on this episode of Marvel Cinematic University. Uh, She is the executive producer, our co-executive producer on Doom Patrol. She also has done a lot of writing and other things that you may have watched and may have enjoyed. Tamara Becker Wilkinson. Tamara, welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. And and first of all, congratulations on Doom Patrol being renewed for a fourth season. We found this out this weekend on DC Fandom. I guess, tell us a little bit about your feelings on continuing the show. You've been heavily involved in it and, and just, just your, just your general feelings overall. Overjoyed. Um, This is probably one of the favorite jobs I've ever had. It's so much fun to work on. We have such a wonderfully weird, funny group of people who work on the show. And so to get to do it for another season, it just, it feels like a dream come true, honestly. Oh, absolutely. And and I think one of the things that I, I think about, and I told you this when I asked you to come on, is that one of the reasons I feel like that this is the best comic book television show there is out there right now is just how just how honest it is and the way that it not only leads it to the weird and awkward, but it has more of the poignant uh, emotional resonance that hits with a lot of people. And I think that's why people enjoy this so much. Uh, how did you get involved with the show? I, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. That is such high praise, especially from a guy who's running a podcast that's all about comic book stuff to say that this is, you know, to regard it so highly is really cool. I got involved with this show. I mean, it was just pure happenstance that I had never heard of the Doom Patrol before. And my manager, and but I've been working uh, on a lot of comic book shows. I've been working on some of the Marvel Netflix shows and the Runaways and my a lot, I guess a handful of people had reached out to my manager when they heard that they were doing a Doom Patrol show, a few of his clients. And so I think I was either my contract was coming up or I was between things or I don't know what, but my manager said, I'm just gonna throw your sample into the mix and see what happens. And it just so happened that I got a meeting on the show. And I went, I mean, I was so not even committed to, you know, or not knowing anything about it. I just went to the library to get the books. I'm like, I'm not even going to spend the $25 on the trades. I'm just going to get the, go to the library. And, um, but by the time I had read, I think it's maybe like the third issue of the Grant Morrison run, which is the Red Jack issue I was in wholehearted then I was like oh my god please lord give me this job please 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 please, please. <laughs> that's that's wonderful that's wonderful and listen the reason why I had reached out to you was seeing dead patrol uh, episode four and as I said last week on the show it was one of the damnedest things that I've ever seen in, in television and I just have to ask how how did all of this come from your mind where did it come from 
there's just so much going on. So I guess I'll start with this as we deep dive into it. Just in terms of pitching the episode and your ideas and how this all came together, how did that come about? Well, you know, it didn't even come from my mind, to be quite honest. So, uh, and I really have to credit the entire room. And I think that someone else had had the idea, and I cannot for the life of me remember who, but somebody, and I think it may have come off of, well, if the Doom Patrol are going to die, then, you know, they should be undead in that, you know, we, we should do Doom zombies. And the thing... So really like everyone in the room and for the episode itself, you know, like even though I went off and I typed the words, you know, I did the typing of the episode, but it really was a group effort by everyone in our room to add their weird two cents to it. Um, But I think the part that I really pushed for that I, and I think a lot of other people in the room wanted to, was I really wanted to bring back Darren Jones as that where butt. And no. so <laughs> when I saw, we had like two different things on the board, like butts and zombies. And then I, you know, one day, I don't know if it was me or I would just was the person that was shouting at the loudest, but <laughs> I was like, butts versus zombies. Can we get, can I, and you know, I get very conscious of the fact that when I see things on the board that we're talking about and I, I want it all, I get very greedy. And so I was very conscious of the fact that, you know, I was being greedy and asking for like two really great things. Um, But, and I was just very fortunate that Jeremy Carver was like, yes, those two things work together. Great. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And and it's funny because it's like, you think about the way that the episode starts with Kipling and Niles's head and the horse. And I'm just like, oh, wow, this is crazy already. And then we devolve into what what uh proceeds to happen in the rest of the episode is just i was just like wow this was this is a, and you know it's honestly one of the reasons why i really do love this show because you found a way in that episode to not only have all of that scenario play out but still you had all of the characters continuing to deal with their grief with niles and the conflicted feelings that they have with niles so i thought that was fascinating how in terms of like talking, since this was a group effort, as you say, in trying to mix those particular things in, because everybody, every main character on that show is dealing with something really emotional at the time. Yeah, I mean, well, there were a couple of things going on. And one of them was that um, we sort of, our, our episode one, Niles died. And we felt like we wanted to give the character space to have some closure about their feelings about Niles's death. So we felt like this might be a good space to do it. And in terms of just like making sure that there's lots of grounded emotion. And I mean, that's just really, again, a credit to our showrunner, Jeremy Carver, that who he loves the weird and the funny stuff as much as everybody. But we're in the writer's room. He's He always has an ear out. And what he's always looking for is that at the heart of it, like, yes, like we can absolutely do a story about zombies, but the solution to it, you know, or like some core component to it has to be, you know, if they're going to eat Niles's head, that has, there has to be an emotional resolution sort of tied to mm-hmm. all the weird stuff so that we're not, you know, like we can have a few things of weirdness for weirdness sake, but it always has to lead back to uh, these characters and the emotional stuff that they're dealing with. Now it's interesting. And, and I think when you mentioned about just the idea of working together as a unit, 
What is that like for the audience? What is that like when you're trying to map out a season in the writer's room and putting that type of stuff together? What, the, what does that look like? Um, it's really interesting. It's, it's everything, you know, it's a ton of fun. It can be frustrating. It can be, you know, because when you have so many, you've got eight or nine people in a room and everybody has great ideas. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you don't, other people's ideas don't make sense to you or, you know, I think where we're really like hitting our stride is when people, when someone has an idea and then everyone starts building off of it, you know, and that happens a lot in our room. Mm. And uh, just the, I mean, the collaborative process is, it brings out all the emotions, but at the end of the day, you know, I feel like it always gets us to someplace great, but you've really, you've got eight people sitting in a room and throwing out ideas. And then you've got Jeremy Carver, who's the showrunner, who is the arbiter of all these ideas, because ultimately this is his show and it's his vision for the show. And so he sort of um, decides, you know, which ideas we're going to choose and which directions we go into. And then after that, one person will go off and they'll take the collective ideas. And then that person puts it into a script form. And then that's kind of where like, your individual humor can sort of, you know, your individual thoughts and ideas, you can kind of get those in there. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. It's funny. I had a Q&A with uh, Shoshana uh, last yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, we, we uh, what I asked her was, one of the things I asked her was, which character does she relate to the most? She said, Jane, how about you? Which character do you relate to the most? Oh, man. Um such a good question. I don't know. I'm afraid to reveal anything weird about myself. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I feel like I relate to them all in some way or another, which is sort of a cop out. But, you know, I, I kind of feel like I relate to Cliff a lot in that mm. he's a guy who's got a big mouth. <laughs> and, you know, he's flawed and he gets in his own way, but his heart is really in the right place. And he's really trying hard to be a better human being. Hmm. And I, I really like that about him. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Because I, I love Cliff. I, I feel like ever since we've seen his journey uh, start in the first season and, and everything has been kind of connected to Niles and really his his anger and vitriol towards Niles throughout the 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 two seasons and two Niles's death and kind of seeing where he is now he's in an interesting spot because now Niles is not no longer there and he's sitting with himself trying to get closer to his daughter and his grandson and that's been a very that's been a very fascinating story to kind of kind of see play out is it difficult to kind of with with obviously such a a big character change and losing Niles and as a uh, integral as he was to the team, like specifically with Cliff, what have you thought of his journey so far this season? Because it has been an interesting one. You know, I like that. It just feels very real and grounded to me and that he has this very simple want just to be, you know, I feel like he evolved from the first season where once he realized that his daughter was still alive and out there, that he wanted to reconnect with her because it was like, this is this one piece of his humanity that still exists out there in the world. And if he can 
connect to that, then that's that maybe that makes him just like this much more human. Mm-hmm. And that now I feel like it's sort of evolved beyond that just to, I want to be involved in my daughter's life and my grandson's life because I want to be involved in it because it, it feels good, you know? And I, I, you know, and I sort of feel like his last conversation with Niles that he maybe did get some closure um, with that. And that, I mean, as much as one can get closure from a thing like that, but I feel like having that last conversation with him and eating his brains, like he's now able to move past that (laughs) and deal with these other issues that he has. So another question about dead patrol. And I have to ask because in the mid credits uh, stinger that we got, one of the behinds is out there running off to another town. So I'm (laughs) going to just make a a suggestive question. You don't have to answer it, obviously. Um, Will we be be seeing more of these behinds at some point? You know, it wouldn't be fun to answer. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be fun to say yes or no either (laughs) way. It's more fun to uh, let you wonder and imagine. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, fair enough. And in terms of just the overall season and obviously building it around Niles and his death and everybody dealing with that. And I think uh, the episode after yours, uh, Data Patrol, uh, was another one in terms of character development and really seeing characters at a level of frustration. Victor, I, I think, is was one of them. And I thought Shoshana really did a really good job in just terms of writing Victor, putting him in a different space than what he has been because he's had different types of issues before with his father. And, and and it seemed like they had a little bit of an understanding in their last conversation, but as opposed to what we saw now in his dealing with frenzy puts him in a new different type of level of uh, frustration and really, really wondering uh, identity and who he is. What have you thought of Victor's growth as he's he came in the show as really the the straight hero like he's just he's just all about doing the right thing at all costs and he's he's really found there's a real gray area to him now that we didn't see at the beginning what have you thought of his journey you know i found it so interesting and i love that we had the opportunity to take like you said this very traditional uh, hero and sort of weigh them down with the lead balloon that is the Doom Patrol. That he sort of had this opportunity to really examine, or he's starting to get this opportunity to really examine himself and think. And again, you know, like sort of with what I really love about the um, episode five, it's a, such a beautiful episode. And that it moves him beyond this issue with his father. And Frenzy starts asking all these other questions about, or getting Vic to start thinking about uh, other aspects of his identity, you know? And it's sort of, it's great to move him beyond because like if you, when you read Cyborg comics, so much of it is anytime there's any interaction with Silas, you know, it's just, it's sort of like, you know, I hate you, dad. It's a lot of that. (laughs) And so to kind of, now sort of, and, and that's always going to be a part of it because again, it's another thing. And this is another thing that I really like about the way that we deal with these psychologies is that nothing is ever solved. You're not going to solve your daddy issues, but you have to figure out how to deal with them and, and you know, move beyond them or function in your life with them. But um, yeah, I just, I love that we're sort of starting to open him up a bit and think more about who he wants to be as a man. 
Yeah, and there's and there's an idea of self-reflection there. And I think that's that's what that's another reason I love this show. It just it just gives a more of an opportunity to sit with characters in all different types of spaces. I think of Larry and the dealings with his son and his own issues, obviously, with with what happened with the split with uh with the negative spirit. Uh Jane, I, I think she is really She's really a special, special character. Uh, Diane Guerrero is tremendous. She's she's amazing in what she's been able to do to this point. Uh, I think that's that's actually another character I, I, I would like to to visit. Jane and where she is now, uh, specific, specifically with Kay and her almost like maternal uh, instincts with her. And also at the same time, the fog, which got introduced in episode five, kind of giving her like an enticement in a, in a way to kind of lead her down a different path than what she's uh, been used to seeing. How about Jane? Like I've seen her grow and deal with so much pain, so much trauma. And now she's also in a different space. So I wonder what you thought of her journey. Yeah, I mean, it's really... I mean, it's terrifying to me where Jane is at in, in an interesting way that um, to see, we sort of touched on this in season one with the Von Fuchs episode where uh, Von Fuchs is sort of taunting her and saying, are you worried that if Kay gets better that you are going to disappear? And so that's sort of what we're starting to touch on with the, with the episode, which I think is also number five where Kay is saying, I need new shoes yeah. and I wanna go get them myself. And so the idea that, you know, the really messy, complicated things that Jane is feeling about, on the one hand, you know, Kay getting better is a good thing. But on the other hand, Kay getting better, she doesn't know if that means Kay won't need me anymore. And then do I disappear? Do I cease to function? So Jane is also dealing with, you know, like similar issues of identity. Um, and, uh, you know, just to talk about Diane Guerrero for a second, I mean, man, how lucky were we that we got her for this? Because I, I don't know how she does it. You know, the, her ability to create so many different characters that feel so different from one another that she really disappears into is just, it's so amazing. Yeah, she's tapping into something that's really, really incredibly creative. And I do hope that she does get recognized for it because that is mm -hmm. really difficult to do. And she is doing a tremendous job to this point. Now, in terms of like overall uh, rest of the season, and it's not it's not a spoilerific question, but it's just more of a, a thematic question in terms of like the rest of the way, in terms of like mapping the season out. And what what have you found interesting? As it feels like this show, and I think you said it before, where in the writers' room you guys are kind of hitting your stride. And it does feel like the show has continually built upon itself and gotten better and better as it's gone along. How do you keep that yeah. consistency? And how do you how do you manage that? Because it's it really is a difficult thing because you don't want to get you don't want to feel like you're getting stale because we've already seen so much wackiness in this show <laughs> to this point. So how do you how do you manage that aspect and just the idea of thinking about or not worrying too much at the same time? I mean, my, the top of my head answer is pure dumb luck. I know, I but I think a little, 
Yeah, uh, maybe a slightly a little bit more goes into it than that. And part of it is that we all are fans of the show ourselves. if that sounds weird, but like everybody, we've seen all the episodes, uh, we're all watching them again every week, you know, because we just enjoy them so much. And so I think part of it is just wanting to tell stories that we ourselves would want to see as fans of the show. And then I think, I mean, I think the other thing that really helps us is at the end of the day, just keeping true to the emotions of the characters. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Then, then there's that element of dumb luck that just, you know, thank goodness we're able to pull these stories out of our butts. Yeah, sometimes it's a perfect storm. It really is. Yeah. It really is in a lot of ways. Um, I actually also wanted to get into into more about your your career because it a lot of it has spanned a lot of different things it was funny when i was researching you a little bit i saw that you wrote for covert affairs and i was like annie really annie that's so cool oh i i love i love covert affairs um oh no way yeah i was a big fan my sister and i uh my sister and i will uh, watch that show and we would talk about it every week so it was always fun seeing Annie and dealing with her daily adventures. And I thought it was always cool that she could handle herself by herself. It wasn't one of those things where she always needed a man to help her or anything like that. She was, she was confident. She was, she was in control in a lot of ways. And I think it wasn't really till the last season where there was a, there was a, there was a, a romantic element that affected how she made decisions. Uh, I'll ask about Covert Affairs since I'm a Covert Affairs fan. So yeah, just the, yeah. just in just in general, like, how did you get involved with that show? And I think the fact that it went on as long as it did was uh, was a credit to uh, to the writers because it really was very entertaining week to week. Uh, that was a really fun show to work on, and I loved it for all the reasons that you just said. That because of the strong woman in uh, law enforcement who was very independent and smart and, but also vulnerable. Um, and I, well, I already forgot the question. <laughs> oh no, just like in general, like how was it, how was it uh, not only getting involved with that show, but you know, writing oh. this character and continuing to uh, watch this character grow and deal with different things. Her relationship with her sister was always evolving because but when she found out that she was a CIA agent, that changed the, that changed the dynamic between the two. So I always thought that was interesting. And yeah, that, I, I would say I would say those like in, in terms of the show in general. Uh, how did you feel about the journey that Annie took? I um, I thought it was cool. You know, we didn't because we didn't have a lot of romantic stuff on the show. I was I was kind of. You know, the first few seasons, I didn't come until season three. And she had a few more dates and stuff, I think, in the first season. And there was a lot more with her sister in the first season. So I, I wish that there was more with her sister in that because I really liked that dynamic. And I liked seeing Annie try to have to navigate her life outside of the CIA or when the two would intersect and it would cause issues for her. Um, but I was glad by the by the fifth season that we did. And I think all of us as writers um, were sort of hungering for a little more of like a romantic situation to put her in. And um, 
you know, I did notoriously write the episode where Annie and Augie break up and got a lot of fun. Actually, from people who are very angry at me on Twitter, made some good friends out of it. Um, Really? Because, you know, it's funny when you you mention Annie and Augie, I was I was of the opinion. I was like, do they really need to get together? Because it was it just (gasps) felt like. Yeah, I wasn't like all the way there because yeah, they had such a wonderful friendship um, that and partnership, I should say, also that in the field and outside of the field that I almost thought that not to say that it diluted necessarily, but it it, it took away from the thing that that I enjoyed and made that part of their uh, relationship as friends so interesting. So I got to be honest, when you broke them up, I was like, all right, cool. I, I'm, I'm not against it. I'm really not against it. <laughs> In that case, you're welcome, Anthony. But no, I get it. There were, I think there were definitely two camps and there were the camps that are like, you know, Annie and Augie are so much better as best friends than as, you know, in a relationship, you know, but then there were the shippers. Oh yeah. There's always the shippers. That's, that's the one thing about uh, television and movies. Yeah. Always that. So is there, uh, so you mentioned like in terms of reaction, fan reaction, you get stuff like that. What has been, how, how do I, how do I put this so eloquently? What is the wildest um, reaction that you've gotten to something that you put together in entertainment? Uh, I don't know. You know, I actually don't know that I've had any, too strange reaction. I, I have to scroll through my Twitter because there hasn't really been anything memorable. In some ways, that's oh, a good thing. I do. I do actually remember one thing. Um, someone when I was on Daredevil season three, ah, okay. and we had uh, Bullseye, <laughs> and so we thought we were doing our due diligence by we had a contacted a psychiatrist to help us work up a psychological profile of the bullseye character. And I think what we had come down to is that he was a borderline personality uh, with some other traits um, and that someone had reached out to me on Twitter to say, uh, to ask me, I don't know why it was directed at me, but it was directed Mm -hmm. at me to say, why did I decide to make yet another character a, um, yet another psychopathic character, a borderline personality, you know? And I, you know, wasn't necessarily my decision not being the showrunner, but you know, like I didn't, I, I also didn't speak up and say, why are we doing, why are we making another borderline personality character, a, a psychopathic killer? So I really like took to heart her point, which was that the only representation or the majority of the representations that, and I think this woman had borderline personalities, the only representation are usually as killers or, you know, villains. So that, um, you know, and so, but when we talked about it and she was cool and I took her point and she took mine and, but I, I was glad that, that she said something. That's that's interesting, and I'm I'm actually glad that you mentioned uh, Bullseye and Daredevil because yeah. I remember I remember going to Comic Con in 2018. So I'm sitting down and they're doing the Daredevil presentation, and I see the 
they show the sneak peek and I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, what are we about to see? This looks, this looks tremendous. So, you know, the season comes out a couple weeks later and um, and I'm watching it and it's what it's oh. people have a lot of conversations about about the Daredevil show in general, but season three, so good from beginning to Thank end. You. Yes, absolutely. I will I will cape for that season in so many ways because <laughs> no, it's like it's just I love the born. Obviously, a lot of it's taken from the born again run and this bullseye character who this person was complaining about i thoroughly enjoyed because it was just it was a different look it was a different look from what we've seen from the first two seasons in terms of you mentioned the psychology but just the action man like this it's the action and i know you wrote the the karen episode which i think was a great look into how she got to this point or to that point in in uh, season three with her, and it was, and that was a tremendous episode. I remember we reviewed season three on this show. You're welcome, and and uh, we talked about that episode, Karen, because it just had so much, and and I just love the fact that they that you guys took the time to look at her. So then we got the context of her brother's death and her relationship with her father and all of those things, and. Now you kind of you, you kind of see as she goes back how this how broken this person is. So that that was great. So just getting involved with Daredevil for season three and being a part of really a great, great season of television. How was that like for you being involved in that? Not only that writer's room, but producing it as well. Well, so uh, one of my I was really big into comics in the early 2000s. And one of my all-time favorites was Daredevil. And so when I started working in the Marvel camp, uh, when I was available to join one of the shows, they were starting with Iron Fist. So I started on Iron Fist. And then after that first season, uh, they didn't bring any of the writers back. Netflix wanted to clean slate, start Mm. over. And so uh, when I, then they brought me in to meet on Daredevil because when they, when they were doing the contracts, you were contracted for, I think it was three years and they Mm. could put you on any of what they were calling the defenders titles. So my contract was still open. So I could have, you know, they could have put me on Jessica Jones. They could have put me on Luke Cage. Right. Um, But, you know, Daredevil was the one I really wanted. And when I sat down to meet with Eric Olson and he told me that they were, we were going to do Born Again, you know, and that was in the the meeting after I signed 2000 uh, NDAs and gave some (laughs) blood and stuff that, uh, that I, this was again, like, please give me this, please, Lord, give me this job. And it, you know, the idea of getting to write bullseye and getting to write um, for Vincent D'Onofrio's, you know, Kingpin was like, oh my God, this is, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent because that to me, I mean, just made that first season so good. Um, So I was just over the moon to get that job. And then, you know, getting it, it was just, it was hard, you know, we put blood, sweat and tears into, it was a lot of work to to get through that season. And the Karen episode in particular, you know, figuring that out, not wanting to, you know, do anything cliche or expected. And, you know, it, it took some, 
it took some work to get to where we finally got it. Um, and then I just, you know, like I think I had told the showrunner initially, uh, I will murder everyone in this room if you don't let me write that episode. And so he he gave it to me. Um, <laughs> That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then it was just like so cool to do this episode with um, Deborah Ann Wall. And I know it meant a lot to her. And she was just so great in it. And also, I was like a huge fan. Oz was one of my all-time favorite shows. So casting Lee Turgeson as her father. Mm. Oh, my God. I was just, I was in heaven. And uh, producing it, I mean, being there, working with, we had such an amazing crew. There was a lot of crossover, I think, from uh, from the Iron Fist crew. And, I mean, just such an incredible, hardworking team that, you know, that are also, like, when you go to set on these shows, especially on Iron Fist and on Daredevil, I mean, it felt like everyone in the crew just loved working on these shows, too, you know, that they were fans of. And so all that passion just went into everything. And I think that's also one of the reasons why season three of Daredevil was so Ooh. successful. Oh, man. You know what? I, I think the thing about that season, and I think the best way to describe it is complete. It felt, mm. it felt complete from start to finish. And, you know, I, I, I know I was disappointed when at the time I was like, oh, we're not going to see these characters again. Darn it, because I really loved where the story was headed. Um, but in the sense of how it started and how it ended, I thought it, in a way you guys left it off in a in a perfect way where if the show obviously had ended there, it was fine. But if it was to continue, it was fine, too. So I think that's a credit to everybody involved, because I think that part when you're going from season to season and not necessarily knowing what's going to happen after that. And a lot of things can always change in the business. Um, I think it's a credit to everybody involved. It was really, really a, really a great effort. And man, so many iconic scenes. See, I thought after the hallway scene in season one, I was like, okay, this is really, really awesome. So I remember at the comic con they're they're saying, Oh, you thought the hallway scene was something. We got something for you. And I was like, oh, okay, let's see how they're going to top this. And then I see the jail scene and I was just like, what? They found a way to top it. How do you, like, in terms of the action, like all that stuff, when you're, when you're seeing that come together into fruition, because that was really, I think that's really what a lot of fans really loved as well. I mean, storyline wise, and of course you, you love uh, Charlie Cox and everything that he's doing and foggy and karen and and all that and all that stuff vincent d'onofrio is of uh, wilson fisk all of that stuff is awesome but when you get down to it daredevil is such a physical character so to really bring it to life in a way that was so enjoyable was uh really fun and then of course yeah like i mentioned season three that all those fights man as good as it gets oh, yeah. how is somebody who created it who was a part of creating that aspect how does that feel for you seeing something so awesome? I mean, I wish I could take any credit at all for that jail <laughs> scene, but I can take zero credit. I think it was an idea by uh, Alex Garcia Lopez, who mm -hmm. was the director. It was his idea, I believe, to do it all in one shot. And I mean, and the, our stunt coordinator, just a, a, a genius. I mean, so good. Uh, and the, you know, what was really fun, we watched it 
a bunch of times once the the scene was done. And um, if you, uh, Lewa Nasserdine, who wrote that episode, having him sort of do the color commentary of how the how everything worked. Um, and saying like, see that, that leg right there, that's Charlie's leg, mm. but that's his stunt double's leg. You know, it, it's just, it's so amazing the way that it came together. And I think they spent like a day, an entire day just rehearsing it to get it right. And then maybe they did like seven takes in total or something like that. And it, I mean, it was just really cool even to be a bystander that close to something that was so amazing. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I can I I can imagine because that that show was just and you know specifically season three and obviously you happen to be on it. Uh, the, it was uh, I did. It was uh, it was really really cool to see. What in terms of your career to this point uh, are you or have what have you been proudest of in terms of? It could be it could be a particular project or. Or just uh, just something that's happened in your career in terms of how far you've gotten because you've done a lot of really cool stuff. Oh, thank you. Um, hmm. I am there's there's a lot, you know. Um, I'm very proud of that Karen episode, and uh, I was really happy with the way we got to flip that born again ending with Karen holding uh, Daredevil that, yeah. instead of yeah that that shot came out so cool. Um, I'm, I'm particularly proud of the work we do on Doom Patrol though, just because of the, you know, the sort of emotional depths that we go to and the, you know, I mean, we really try to handle it with a sensitivity and a groundedness that, um, you know, that I, I feel really good about. That's yeah, that that's, that's awesome. A couple of quick hitters before we go. Um, I did want to get your thoughts, like anybody who's an aspiring screenwriter, uh, things of that nature, who wants to get into this business, what is what type of advice would you like to give to to anybody in terms of like whether whether it's writing advice or whether how to deal with people once you get in the business? Well, what do you think? You know, it's so funny. The advice that first piece of advice that I always used to get is you have to move to LA. You, you're not going to work as a writer unless you live here. It, things have changed so much with Zoom. I, I don't even know that that's the case anymore because mm. so many people, not so many people, but people in our writer's room, you know, there were like two or three of them that live on the East Coast now or, or that were on the East Coast for all of last season. So that's kind of out the window, my, <laughs> my go-to piece of advice. But um I would say, you know, write what excites you. Don't write what you think is going to sell. Don't write what you think is going to be popular. If your agents and managers tell you, don't write that, no one is ever going to buy it. Don't listen to them, even if it's true. Because your passion, even if they're right, maybe it never will sell, but what you will have is a great calling part for your writing because that passion comes through on the page. And when people, read how much you, how much love went into that script. You know, I really feel like it shows. Um, and that, uh, I think that's something that people look for when you're writing and that, uh, you never know when the, you, um, I'm, uh, losing my train of thought. It's five o'clock. It's almost dinner time. Cause I'm uh, <laughs> 50, I'm 57 years old and I like to eat at five 30. Uh, yeah, just that, that. 
but, but I think it's a very simple, just write what you love. Because when you try to write the thing, and I mean, this has been my own personal experience where I've tried to write like a medical show because I thought, oh, you know, people like medical shows mm-hmm. and I could probably sell that. And nope, didn't sell it. No one wanted it. Um, but so when I went and I wrote a thing that I really cared about, about uh, bounty hunters, because that was really interesting to me. And it was, there was a father-daughter relationship at the heart of it, which was interesting to me. Um, nobody bought it because no one is really interested in, you know, doing a show about bounty hunters is the feedback that I keep getting as much as I try to trot out the script and, and sell it over the years. But Unless um, it's Star Wars. <laughs> unless it's Star Wars. Yeah. Unless it's a baby Grogu and uh, Mando, <laughs> then it's, but, um, but I got so many jobs and meetings off of that script because it was something that, you know, that was interesting to me and I really cared a lot about. So um, not every script is necessarily about selling. Sometimes it's just a good to have a, a, a strong calling card. Interesting. And, and the last one I'll get you out on is what has this business taught you about yourself personally as you've navigated it for all these years? Oh, such a personal question, Anthony. I I tend to get introspective on these things. My apologies. <laughs> it's just how I, I don't it's how know. I, yeah, that's how I'm thinking. Oh, you don't know. Okay. No, 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 no. Let me think about it for a second. What sure. has this business taught me about? Okay, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. It has taught me that I am tougher than I ever thought I was, but it's also taught me that I am weaker than I ever thought I was. Does that make sense? It, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean because I, I, I can't imagine the, uh, just the, the levels of you go from feeling that you got something right at one moment to easily one day you feel like you ain't got nothing because as somebody who's, who just happened to have, you know, I written a couple of poetry books. So like, I, so like, I, I know the, the, the writer's struggle is a real one. Like when it's not going for you, sometimes you just don't have it. It's not there. So I guess from that, that aspect, it could be, it could be very difficult. And it's such, and, and a lot of times it's such a lonely process too. That, yes, that's a hundred percent right. And I'll tell you, I mean, every time, literally every time I start something new, a new pilot and I can't crack it. And I literally throw myself on the bed and I tell my wife, this is it, honey, put the house on the market. Cause I don't have it. I, that was it. I had two pilots in me and that's it. So, and it's like such a little, you know, it's so it's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, and I act like a little baby. And then, you know, like in a few days or a few weeks, you figure it out. But, you know, in the moment, I, uh, you know, I have my creative temper tantrum and then, but that's part of my process, you know, and that's another, you know, piece of advice that I would give people is embrace your process. If your process is to write a page and then send it away for three months and get back to it, just embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just as a small thing, I tend to sometimes when I get into a mode, I just kind of like black out and forget about everything around me and then it just happens and then sometimes it'll stop and then it'll start again and similar to what you're saying yeah sometimes it is like that because a lot of times like your emotions could be so fleeting and that's Mm -hmm. what kind of carries you along when especially when you're going with you and it's like if i'm watching doom patrol and i see something that's like really particularly resonates with me 
that it's like, oh, I can do this, 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 this. So and I can write this, 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 write an article here, get a Q&A here, all this other stuff. And that's what kind of helps. So so I, I thought I think that's yeah. Embrace the process is a really great answer. Uh, Tamara, thank you so much for doing this. This has been so much fun. Anthony, thank you so much for asking me. This was so fun. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yes, before before we go, where can we follow you? Oh, um, I'm on I'm on the Twitter. Yeah, I think my handle is at tr becker. Yeah, and and right now you got the Dracula thing going with all the Halloween Halloween uh, movies yeah. that you're watching. <laughs> yeah, I know. I because people always come up with these great puns for their names during October, and uh, I'm not I'm not uh, I don't know I don't have that gear for puns though I enjoy them so I just go with the blatant. Frankenstein Becker Wilkinson or Dracula Becker Wilkinson. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three. Follow the show at MC University pod on Twitter. The guys will be back next week. Uh, this actually is a special episode. So I'm uh, really glad to talk to Tamara today. And uh, yeah, so for Tamara, for Anthony Canton the third, this has been Marvel Cinematic University, the podcast, and we will talk to you next time.